today. Remember Billy Dameron, he is back in the hospital with lung issues. Mm -hmm. Jerry Dodson is still not doing well down in Texas. Want to lift him up in prayer. And uh, Ian Lindhoff, want to pray for him and his family. Uh, remember all of those on the prayer list. Remember those serving in our armed forces. Brother Derek, Brother Rawberry. Our next fellowship meeting is at Grace Baptist, the 24th of February at 7 p.m. The next prayer breakfast is March 9th at 9 a.m. That's a Saturday, March 9th. The revival we're having here is March, starts March 20th through the 22nd will be Brother Justin Myers. And then 23rd and 24th will be Brother Bobby Aldridge. And then we're planning on having our Lord's Supper here the next time, March 31st, uh, after the PM service, after afternoon service. Um, any brethren have anybody else I forgot to mention besides Sister Boisel, Sister Irish, Brother Hugh, Thomas? Remember uh, to pray for Jamie, Brother Jim Simmons, and Brother John. He prayed for Brother John. Amen. And Brother Derek. So. Yeah. Uh, as we go to the Lord in prayer, we ask Brother Jim if he would to lead us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your blessings today and that you are indeed the light of the world as we just sung. We pray you would send it to this lost and dying world. We're in such darkness. Lord, we pray for our nation, our leaders, that you would enlighten them, Lord, that we may turn back to the ways that we were founded. Go with us through this service today. Be with each and every one that's here. Lord, we pray your blessings upon the service today and that you would, as you promised, that where two or three are gathered in your name, here you are in our midst. What a privilege it is to meet with you today. And be with these we've mentioned on our prayer list and those in our hearts. For it's in Jesus Christ's name we pray.
flirt around with other religions, other doctrines, other churches, other denominations, then yes, that would be spiritual adultery. Uh, but that's not what he's talking about here. And uh, hopefully you can see that by uh, verse 19 and verse 20, both mention the body. No, not that your body is the temple uh, of the Holy Ghost. And we should glorify God in our body. Uh, he mentions that several times about the body, uh, talking about we are members of Christ, verses 15 and 16. We are members of Christ, and we should not take the members of Christ and make it a member of a harlot. Uh, so he's talking about physical sins here, uh, specifically fornication, but including other sins too. <clears throat> and I mentioned, we stopped right at the end of chapter 6, but it's interesting how the very next section, yeah, you can take it as a section, but it goes right along with what he has been talking about. Um, Marital, marital fidelity. Um, yes, spiritually, but also physically, uh, because we know the, the story of the man that had his father's wife uh, as a partner, and um, obviously the church uh, was instructed to take care of that. That was something bad, uh, but they were sort of happy about it. So Paul is really hitting it hard that no, you shouldn't be happy about this, you need to take care of this. Uh, so chapter 7, like I said, is attached to chapter 6. <clears throat> and when Paul in chapter 7, verse 1, says, Now concerning the things whereof he wrote unto me, I think he's actually referring again to this situation where this man is in fornication, openly fornication. <clears throat> um, I don't know whether they actually wrote to him about, you know, fidelity in the marriage or, or what, but... Uh, Chapter 5, chapter 6, uh, here again, he's talking about this same subject, uh, fornication. And then he gets right down to the nitty-gritty and talks about the way that things should be. Um, all through the years, uh, there have been different cultures, different civilizations that have had polygamy. Uh, more than one wife, more than one husband, um, multiple partners in, in a marriage. And, uh, of course, God has frowned on that uh, and said, no, one man for one woman, that's marriage. And, of course, everybody, when they first hear that said, uh, they said, well, what about Abraham? He had more than one wife. How about David? He had more than one wife. Definitely Solomon. He definitely had more than one wife. How about Jacob? He had more than one wife. Uh, how about these saints of God in the Old Testament? Well, the saints of God in the Old Testament didn't have a, a full revelation of, of what, um, what God expected. Um, also, uh, nowhere in the Bible does God say that that pleases him. Just because David had more than one wife doesn't mean it's right. and doesn't mean we should follow his example in that department. No, the Bible is very clear. One man, one woman makes a marriage. Uh, so he goes on here and sort of describes the same thing. Uh, verse 1, uh, concerning the things where he wrote unto me, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. Um, now I know some people that they, again, take this very literally, that a man shouldn't touch any other woman but his wife. Handshakes are out. Hugs are out. Uh, definitely no kissing cheek and cheek. Uh, no whatever. Um, I don't know if 
if you read most commentaries, most commentaries will say uh, that this touching a woman is really a euphemism for sexual relations, that it's not actually just touching a woman. Uh, so you can decide how, how you want to understand this. Um, but he got, does go on and talk about husbands and wives um, and in the marriage context. So in the context, yeah, you might want to say that this is, again, talking bad about fornication. Uh, so verse 2, he goes on to say, nevertheless, uh, even though that's a fact of verse 1, to avoid fornication, and he brings it up again. I actually, since the word fornication happens so many times in, in this book and in this passage, I actually looked it up in the concordance and started did, did some counting. Uh, in First and Second Corinthians, uh, the word fornication appears 12 times. 12 times. Most of those are in First Corinthians, chapters 5, 6, and 7. Uh, once in chapter 10. Uh, and then there's one time in Second Corinthians. But most of them are First Corinthians. Uh, right where we're talking about, chapters 5, 6, and 7, uh, 12 times. The rest of the New Testament, if you take out the book of Revelation, the rest of the New Testament only has 15 times, 15 mentions of the word of fornication. Um, now, of course, Revelation speaks about it because they talk about the great whore. Uh, so, and the people that have fornication with her, spiritual fornication. Uh, but other than that, Corinthians, first and second, talks about it almost equal with the rest of the New Testament. Uh, so you can see how Paul is really hammering on this. So he says, nevertheless, to avoid fornication, and that's what he's wanting to avoid, you are to glorify God in your body. You, the sins that you do in your body, what you do in your body matters. So to keep fornication from happening, though, let every man have his own wife, and let every woman have her own husband. Now, one thing I want to mention and, and point out to you as we go through these first five verses of this chapter is how God, how God through St. Paul, wrote this. He puts the woman on equal par with the man. I've heard many, 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 many times that Paul was a woman hater, that the Bible is misogynistic, that the Bible hates women, the Bible subjugates women, puts women down, puts them in a lower class, da-da-da-da-da, you hear all these accusations against the Bible. Well, in the culture that they're writing, women were like property. Uh, they didn't have a lot of rights at all. Uh, so when you look at what the Bible says about women, it really elevates women mm -hmm. to a higher position than what that culture allowed. Uh, and this is one thing. It doesn't just say uh, that the, every man should have his own wife, period. No, every man should have his own wife, and every woman should have her own husband. Both sides of the marriage, the man and the woman, we're, we're talking to both sides. So again, a woman's on equal par with the man. She should only have one husband, just like the husband should only have one wife. Um, and you notice the, the verbiage here. Uh, let every man have his own wife, let every woman have her own husband. It is an ownership thing. Uh, we don't talk enough about this, but marriage is a covenant. You enter into a covenant. Mm -hmm. uh, a lot of marriage ceremonies by the pastor, you know, we're gathered here in the witness of God and these people. God is witnessing this covenant. Uh, they say, I do, I do, promise, so that was part and all this stuff. It is a covenant. Uh, so, we do have a husband. 
We do have a wife. Uh, we do have that. Verse 3 says, Let the husband render unto the wife due benevolence, and likewise also the wife unto the husband. Now you notice again, um, it's husband and wife, both are mentioned, and they're both on equal par with each other. Uh, it's an equal thing. A husband, it should be a 100% male husband. The wife should be a 100% female wife. Um, they should both be 100% of who they are coming to the marriage. You know, you've heard this stuff. Well, marriage is a 50-50 relationship. No, it shouldn't be. It should be 100%, 100%. You know, so he says, let the husband render it to the wife. Yes, the husband owes the wife certain things. Uh, do benevolence. Uh, and uh, he doesn't stop there, but likewise also the wife unto the husband. Again, he mentions that side of the marriage. And again, puts both of them on equal par, makes both of them responsible for the marriage. Um, we can't just blame one person all the time on things. Uh, you know, we, when we fight with our spouses, lots of times we say, well, I'm right, they're wrong, they just need to compromise. They just need to see my way. They just need to uh, acquiesce to what I think, what I feel, you know, what I want. Well, no, that shouldn't be the way the marriage should be. It should be a back and forth. Uh, so and that's what he's saying here. That the husband should render due benevolence unto the wife. And the same thing, the wife unto the husband. Uh, verse 4. The wife hath not power over her own body. And again, we would say, okay, that's right, because the husband owns the wife as property. Uh, the wife hath not power over her own body, but the husband. And here's an ellipsis. But the husband what? But the husband has the power over the wife's body. Uh, the word power here is not strength, so we're not talking about smackdowns and spousal abuse or anything like that. We're not talking about power. We're not talking about strength. The word power here is authority. It's authority. So the husband has authority over the wife. Um, but before you go say, I see right there, that's, that's subjugation. Uh, but, and likewise also the husband not, hath not power over his body, but the wife has the authority over the husband's body. So again, the wife and the husband are both equally put here. And you know, most places in the Bible, if you actually read them and study them, um, like I said, it lifts up the wife. It lifts up the female in the church. Um, it puts them on equal plane. Uh, with men and certain things. Now, obviously, uh, we can't have a church with everybody being a four-star general. Uh, an army wouldn't work well if everybody was a four-star general. Nothing get done, you have arguments. So somebody has to be a four-star general. Somebody has to be a three-star general. Someone has to be a two or a one, a lieutenant or a captain or a sergeant or a private, somebody, all these different ranks. Um, yeah, we have to have this order of things, and that's what it is in the marriage. There is an order of things, how the marriage should work better. You can't have two bosses to a single project. You have to have somebody with the final set, and the Bible clearly lays that out. But here we're talking actually about sexual relations, fornication, so that fornication doesn't happen Every husband is not empowered in authority of his own body. The wife is in authority over his body. Uh, the wife is not in authority on her body. The husband has the authority over her body. 
uh, back and forth, back and forth. And this goes on with, uh, you can spiritualize this and say, since we are the bride of Christ, this should be how things happen. Uh, that Christ is ours. He's my Savior. He's my brother in, in, in spiritual realm. Uh, he is a lot of things to me. I have Christ. I am in Christ. Um, and I belong to Christ. Uh, as the, verse 20 says, uh, your body and your spirit, which are God's, we belong to God. But he belongs to us. How many times you can go through it, Old Testament and New Testament, I will be your God and you will be my people. God says that many, many times. I will be your God. He is our God. We own him as our God. Amen. But he owns us. We are his people. Amen. So he owns us. So it's like a marriage relationship, back and forth. Now, would you say that we are God? We're on equal plane with God? No, he's a four-star general, and we're above private, you know? <laughs> the comparison between God and us. There's a rank there, but still, there's that covenant between us and God that's like a marriage covenant. He owns us, we own him. He is Amen. our God. He is our God. So it goes on in verse 5, chapter 7. Um, he says, To frog ye not one the other, except to be with consent for a time. Now, with consent, you have to have two parties to consent to something. You can't consent with yourself. I mean, you have ideas, you have opinions, but you really can't consent with yourself. Unless you have some kind of mental something, multiple personalities, and you have conversations with yourself, and that works, and you know that's out there. But um, most people, you don't consent with it. You have to have two parties. And that's, again, this thing that's going here. He doesn't say when the husband decides. And the husband decides that whenever he decides, that the wife just has to go along with it. No, you have to do this with consent of both parties. So defraud ye not one the other. He says, no, you need to come together in fellowship, man and wife, one with the other all the time, except that you with consent. Both of us decide, yes, this is it. And it's only for a time. It's not forever. It's only for a time. Right. Specified time if you can. And he goes on to say that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer. He says, set aside the sexual part of your marriage sometimes with mutual consent so that you can do spiritual things in the flesh. Fasting and prayer. Now those are still physical things. Uh, yeah, you might say, well, prayer is more of a spiritual thing, but if your mind is working and praying, that's a your mind is still physical, right? So your mind is praying, that's a physical thing. If you are totally not doing anything else, you know, we've got all these devices that, that get our attention all the time. And, you know, have you ever tried to pray while you're watching TV? That's not a good idea. Uh, you, you can't really pray. Well, I mean, you can. I'm not going to say you can't, but, you know, uh, your mind is somewhere else. No. So it is a physical thing because you have decided not to do something else, and you're going to do prayer. Same thing with fasting. Fasting is one of those things the Bible teaches. We need to do that. So he says once in a while, uh, you know, when you fast, depending on how long you fast, and the Bible doesn't give us a specific amount, one meal, one day, one week, one month. Uh, the Bible doesn't dictate what we should do. doesn't tell us which day to do it or which days to do it. 
but it is in the Bible. And right here is one of those verses where Paul says, yes, you ought to be fasting and praying. That's just a given. Um, <coughs> Jesus in the Sermon on the Mount, he says, when you fast. Amen. Not if you fast, but when you fast, be not like the heathen. So he says, yes, with consent for a time, so that you may give yourself to fasting and prayer and come together again that Satan tempt you not for your incontinency. So tempt you what? Into fornication. Uh, one person wants the prayer and fast and consent for one day, and they say that's long enough. Uh, another person says, no, I really need about 20 days of prayer and fasting. Now all of a sudden you've got a problem. Uh, they're going to get consent, and, but Paul says very very normally, you need to come together again as husband and wife so that you don't run into fornication. It's still the same subject all the way down through here. Fornication. Glorify God in your body. Mm -hmm. uh, he says, verse 20 of chapter 6, glorify God in your body and in your spirit. Sometimes you put aside bodily things so that you can be more spiritual, praying and fasting. Those are more spiritual things, even though we do them in so, um, if you'll turn to chapter 10 of 1 Corinthians. And you might not <clears throat> understand why I'm doing this at first, so I will um, give you the heads up. We're going to land in verse 8. Neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed it fell in one day, three and twenty thousand. 1 Corinthians 10, 8. Again, he's talking about fornication as one of the sins that the Israelites did. And this whole book, like I said, mentions it 12 times. First and Second Corinthians mentions fornication 12 times. Uh, Paul's really hitting his heart. Um, and like I said, there are only one appearance in 2 Corinthians. The rest of those, the 11, are in 1 Corinthians. And remember the story of the man that had his uh, father's wife 1 Corinthians is Paul really teaching them, telling them to take care of this. So we would imagine that that word would appear in 1 Corinthians more, because he's talking about that. That's his subject. It's in the church, and you need to take care of it. You need to root it out. It's bad. Glorify God in your body. So that's where we're headed in verse 8. Neither let us commit fornication. But in the midst of this, we'll start in verse 1. He mentions uh, five different sins and he picks out the fornication. Um, if you look in the Old Testament and you read the, um, the account of the Israelites in the wilderness wandering for 40 years, um, the Bible actually says that there were 10 times that they sinned. And you can go through and pick them out. And God always judged those sins. Sometimes a lot of people died. Uh, which is one of the ones that Paul picks. But Paul picks five things. So, in verse 1 of 1 Corinthians 10, Moreover, brethren, I would not that ye should be ignorant, how that all our fathers were under the cloud, all passed through the sea, and were all baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea. So, here is baptism. Now, this is not water baptism, even though it's sort of like a figure of water baptism. They're completely covered by water. They're under the water. The water is beside them. They are in the cloud and in the sea. They are in the water, totally covered. They're baptized unto Moses. And we talked about baptizing into somebody's doctrine. 
so they're baptized into Moses' teaching. That means that this baptism shows that they are disciples of Moses. They follow what he says. They follow his doctrine. They follow his laws that he said. Um, verse 3, and they all did eat the same spiritual meat. Now he's setting up that God judged sin on these people. But before we talk about the judgment of sin, he wants to present who these people are. These are baptized believers. Baptized believers. They are all baptized into Moses, and they all did eat the same spiritual meat. The manna. Heaven food comes down. The Psalms calls the manna angels' bread. Uh, the bread of angels. Uh, verse 4, and they all did drink the same spiritual drink. Uh, I think this is a reference to the um, Lord's Supper. In fact, down in verse 16, the cup of blessing which we bless, is this not communion? We sometimes call the Lord's Supper communion. The communion of the bread which we break in the communion of the body of Christ. Um, so, yeah, this is about the Lord's Supper uh, that he's talking about here, the spiritual meat and the spiritual drink. And they partook of that. Um, we think of the spiritual um, as being something not concrete, not physical. We divide physical and spiritual. But spiritual might be the result of a miracle. Spiritual drink is when they're in a desert and Moses speaks to the rock and out gushes water. That's spiritual water. That's spiritual water. You know, because it came through spiritual means. Moses believing God, Moses doing what God said, and God's providing this water in a place that water shouldn't be. And then it happened again. And of course, he was supposed to just speak to the rock second time, strike the rock first time. Um, and Moses disobeyed. So they drank of the spiritual drink, they ate of the spiritual meat, they were baptized, uh, for they drank of that spiritual rock that followed them, and that rock was Christ. Uh, yes, all the types in the Old Testament, most of the stories in the Old Testament will point us to Christ. They'll show us some kind of type of Christ. But, with many of them, God was not well pleased. Church members, lots of times, they come to church and they think they're pretty good, they, they've been baptized, they read their Bible off and on, they pray some, uh, they come to church off and on, and yeah, they get their you know, weekly dose of shot in the arm of spiritual things. But is God well pleased with us? No, we're talking church members. That we're talking people in covenant relationship. These Jews were in covenant relationship with God. God had redeemed them out of Egypt with blood, had baptized them in the Red Sea, had given them spiritual meat and spiritual drink, but God was not well pleased with some of them. Same thing with us. We baptized. We're baptized. You know, we partake of the spiritual meat, spiritual drink, is God pleased with us? That's a good question to ask. And he gives examples. He says, because with many of them, God were not well pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. That implies the death of the wilderness. The Greek even talks about dead bodies here, corpses in the wilderness. They were overthrown in the wilderness. Uh, now, these things were our examples. You see how he brings it up to present time. Yeah, he's talking about Moses thousands of years ago. We're talking about Moses even two more thousand years ago from when Paul wrote this. Uh, but these things are still our examples. We need to take an example for these things. There's a lot in the Old Testament we need to look at. 
uh, to the intent that we should not lust after evil things as they also lusted. Yeah, they lusted after evil things, all kinds of evil things. And you can go back and pick out any one that you want. Neither be idolaters. So don't lust after anything. Don't be an idolater. This would be the second sin that he's talking about. As were some of them, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And he's quoting the Old Testament again. You can go back and find the incident uh, when he's referring to, but they were idolaters. Some of them were. Verse 8, neither let us commit fornication, as some of them committed, and fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Neither let us tempt Christ, as some of them tempted, and were destroyed of serpents. Neither murmur ye, as some of them also murmured, and were destroyed of the destroyer. Now you notice how he talks about the sin, and then on some of them he actually gives the punishment that God meted out to these people. Um, in verse 8, there fell in one day three and twenty thousand. Uh, in verse 9, they were destroyed of serpents. Verse 10, they were destroyed of the destroyer. Uh, now, the destroyer is somebody that came upon Egypt. Any house that did not have the blood on the door and post and the lintel, the destroyer would come in and kill the firstborn son. Uh, Israel was redeemed from that destroyer. But guess what? When they sinned, God sent the destroyer against them. So just because you're in the church doesn't mean you're vaccinated from God's wrath. Now, in eternity, we are saved. There is no condemnation for us in eternity. But here on this earth, if you don't live right, God just might do something to you. He'll punish you. Maybe not punish is a good word. Discipline you is a good word. But you know, Ananias and Sapphira, whether they're saved or not, we don't know, but they lied to the church. Um, Peter even says you've lied to God. You've lied to the Holy Spirit. Yeah, we sold property for this much. What happened to them? They both was killed. They both were killed by God. Uh, the one was killed. White came in later on. Did you really sell the land for this month? Yes, we did. Okay. Same people that carried your husband's out from carry you out. You're dead. God was giving this the, the example that this church thing is very important. It's a scary thing that the wrath of God might be upon you. How you live. Yes, God cares how you move in your body and in your spirit, our memory verse says. Right. So, he says, uh, Neither let us tempt Christ as some of them tempted, verse 9, and were destroyed of serpents. Um, I want to go back and actually read that one, uh, Numbers chapter 21. If you go to Numbers 21, because what, is, what does he mean tempted Christ? Uh, Christ was not actually named in the Old Testament yet, right? Uh, they, they weren't proclaiming the, the name of Christ. Uh, they were proclaiming the name of Lord Jehovah, Yahweh, if you would. Uh, but Numbers chapter 21. If you look at verse 4. And they journeyed from Mount Hor by the way of the Red Sea to compass the land of Edom. And the soul of the people was much discouraged because of the way. So that's one thing. They were discouraged. Uh, that's tempting Christ. Christ says, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. God said, I'm going to bring you into the promised land. Well, all of a sudden they're discouraged. They don't think they're going to get there. 
You know, the way is too hard. Can God really bring us in? Look at all these things that's happened to us. They're discouraged. That's tempting God. Uh, and the people spake against God and against Moses. Yeah, since Moses is God's prophet on the earth, yeah, we're speaking against God. That's tempting Christ. And we're going to speak against God's prophet, Moses, uh, and against Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? Is that why you brought us out, just so we all could die? That's a question mark. Really? Is that what you're doing? Um, that's a little belligerent. You don't talk to God this way. Um, verse 5 starts with, and the people speak against God. You don't speak against God that way. Um, and you really need to be careful speaking against God's man this way. Um, you know, uh, the, God has seen fit to place Brother Jim as a pastor. And yeah, we need to be careful how we speak against him. Uh, you know, he's God's man until God decides otherwise. So he, they're speaking against God and against Moses. What did you do? Just bring us out here to die, for there is no bread, neither is there any water. Now, there is no bread. If the verse stopped right there and there was a period, you would say, they should all die. There's no bread. Is that a fact? There's no bread. Uh, neither is there any water. And our soul loatheth this light bread. Oh, so there is bread. You just don't like it. Because it's the same bread day after day after day. This manna stuff that God provides for us. Yes, we've got to go out and pick it. We've got to go out and collect it. But, you know, our, our soul's getting tired of the same thing over and over again. You know, that's why a lot of these church denominations that pop up left and right, they, they sometimes get away from the Bible. It's, yes, it's like, yes, we've heard that. They've been preaching that for years. Give us something new to listen to. Present something new to us. No, 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 it's the same old story. It's in the Bible. Hopefully, preachers have been preaching the same thing for year after year after year. Because it, the Bible doesn't change. Amen. So they said, no, our soul loatheth this like bread. What did Jesus say about the bread? They said, you know, give us bread to eat. And he, Jesus said, well, you know, that bread was given by Moses? No, it was given by my father. And then Jesus goes on to say, I am the true bread Amen. that come down from heaven. I am the true bread. So they're tempting Christ. They're saying, we don't want, we don't want what God is providing. We want something different. We want what we had back in Egypt. The leeks and the onions and the melons and the, all the good things that we were eating back in Egypt. That's what we want now. We, we discouraged and we don't like this this light bread. Um, is that going to go on? Yes. Verse 6, And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, we have spoken against the Lord, and against thee, pray thee, uh, praying to the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Uh, so there's many people that died here, and it's because God decided. God sent fiery serpents. So back to 1 Corinthians 10. And like I said, you can find each one of these uh, sins uh, in 1 Corinthians 10 that are mentioned uh, back in the Old Testament. But those five sins um, we need to take care of. We need to watch out for. Verse 8, neither let fornication. Don't commit fornication, as some of them and there one day fell three and twenty thousand. That's a lot of people. Twenty-three thousand people got killed of the Israelites. 
Now you might say, well, yeah, but he promised that nobody under the, uh, over the age of 20 would, would go into the promised land, that he'd kill all those people off. Yeah, but they could just die of old age. They could die of some kind of disease. God doesn't have to send serpents among them to kill them off, uh, but God decided to do that as a way of punishment, as a way of disciplining them, as a way of teaching them. Why do you think the story in the book of Acts is, is recorded about Ananias and Sapphira? You know, if you were Luke and you were writing a book about the early church and you're writing about the Holy Spirit and speaking in tongues and people being saved and thousands being baptized and people going out witnessing missionaries going out, you know, you might leave out that story about, well, yeah, but God killed two of our members on purpose for, for faulty living. For lying, just for lying. Lying's not so bad thing, is it? They don't only lie. But they lied to God. Amen. They lied to God through the church. So it is a big thing. So neither murmur. Verse 11. Now these things happened unto them for examples. Uh, he mentioned that up above. The same thing. That it was for examples. For us to learn. Uh, verse 6. Now these things were our examples. Mm -hmm. So he mentions it again. 1 Corinthians 10, 11. Now all these things happen unto them for examples, and they are written for our admonition upon whom the ends of the world are come. Yeah, it's written to teach us something. Right. What do we learn from those stories that the Israelites went through? Well, they are God's covenant people. We as the church are God's covenant people. God's going to treat us the same way? You might say, no, 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 we're living in the time of grace and mercy. God's always had grace and mercy. He's never changed. He doesn't have more mercy in the New Testament than he did in the Old Testament. Right. He was very merciful. Right off in Genesis, he says, the day you eat thereof, you shall surely die. They ate and they died spiritually that day, but Adam lived, what, another 900 and some years? He definitely didn't die physically that day. Now, that brought on death, but again, the mercy of God says, I'm going to let you live a long time. That's his mercy. There's mercy right from the very beginning of the Bible. So, we, God doesn't change. He has the same amount of grace, the same amount of mercy, as he always has. Amen. And hasn't all of a sudden gotten more merciful. Uh, so, these are examples for us. They're written for our admonition, for us to learn something from them. Um, he goes on to say, verse 12, Wherefore, let him that thinketh he standeth, take heed, lest he fall. Yeah, you think you're in a good spot. You think you're okay. Well, you better check yourself out. Take heed. It means double check this and, and think about it a little bit. Look at this and test yourself uh, if you think you stand. Uh, so you should take heed lest you fall. Do we have time to get to this other one? Yeah, it's only two verses. If you turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12. This is another place where the fornication is mentioned by name. It's the only time in Second Corinthians. And uh, we're going to look at verse 20. Um, now remember, uh, they had taken care of this by the Second Corinthians epistle. Um, in fact, this is not the second. Uh, this is at least the third. Look in chapter 13. 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. This is the third time I am coming to you. 
So this tells us that this is not second Corinthians. This is at least third Corinthians. Uh, but it's the second of the two that God decided to preserve and save for us. So back to chapter 12, verse 20. Uh, after all of this stuff goes on. They still had problems in the Corinthian church, though. Uh, even second Corinthians is sort of a lengthy epistle, a lengthy letter. Uh, so, verse 20 says, For I fear, lest when I come, I shall not find you as, as I, such as I would. Meaning, I've written three times now. This is the third time that I've come to you. And you guys are still messed up. You guys are still, you still don't got it right. You still are out, out there just doing crazy things. And he says, I'm afraid that when I come, I will not find you as you should be. As I want you to be. Um, and that I should be found unto you uh, such as you would not, meaning I'm going to have to present myself in a way that you don't want me to present myself. You want me to come in and, and pump you up and be all love and everything's good and all excited and all energetic and all spiritual? He says, you're not going to find me that way. Uh, since you've got so many things wrong in your church, I'm going to have to come in like a bulldozer and, and roll over this person and make sure this person gets in, in shape and make sure this person stops this. And I'm going to have to just call names and I'm going to have to call sins and I'm going to have to root out this stuff because a little leaven leavens the whole lot. Right. We need to get out that leaven. So I'm afraid that when I appear and I come to you, you won't like the way I'm appearing either because I'm going to have to do what I have to do. Uh, lest there be, and he says, this is what's going to happen. You don't take care of what you're supposed to take care of and get yourself right so that when I come, I can be like you want me to be, all nice and happy. He says, if that doesn't happen, there is going to be debates between us. There are going to be envyings. There's going to be wraths. It's going to be people who are getting their feelings hurt, and they're going to get all bristled up and all out of whack, and they're going to have wrath. There's going to be strifes and backbitings. There's going to be whisperings. This is a bad situation. Mm. I mean, these are bad things to have in the church. Right. Shouldn't have these. He says, I'm afraid that when I come, you don't get yourself right. I'm going to have to instigate these things. Whispering, swellings, tumults. Unless uh, when I come again, my God will humble me among you. Now, I think this verse, humble me among you, talks about, you know, no preacher wants to be mean. Well, I shouldn't say no preacher. <laughs> Most preachers, you know, they don't want to be mean. They don't want to be harsh. They don't want to call people out. They don't want to visit people in their homes and, and have heart-to-heart -heart talk about, yeah, this is not right. This is messing up the church. We've got to get this right. We've got to fix this. What's the solution to this? So he says, God is going to humble me and make me be that steamroller that comes in and tries to fix this. And that's a humbling place. Uh, for a preacher to actually do that takes a lot of humility. Because preachers would much rather preach easy stuff. Stuff that nobody disagrees with. And he says, no, it's a humbling thing for me to have to get my pride out and say, okay, God, this needs to be said, and I'll say it. Even if everybody in the congregation might hate me, I'm going to say it. That's a humbling experience. To humble yourself before God and give in and say, okay, God, you want me to say this? Your Bible says this. It needs to be said. Um, and that I shall bewail many which have sinned. That's talking to church members. 
He bewails many which have sinned already and have not repented. Now remember that one man had repented. We read that in 2 Corinthians. That he had repented. And he says, okay, now you love him and comfort him, bring him back into the body. But evidently he's not the only one. Right here he says, some of you guys still haven't repented. That whole situation with that man that had his father's wife, that was an example for the whole church. Sin is there. We need to take care of sin. The church should do this. Um, but he says, some of you are still not repented of the uncleanness and fornication and lasciviousness which they have committed. Do you notice those three sins are all physical? <clears throat> In fact, depending on how you translate and understand some of those, they're all sexual. Again, we glorify God in our body. Uh, that's, this is all connected with that memory verse that we had. Uh, we uh, glorify God in our body. He says, some of you have not repented of. He doesn't say false doctrine. He doesn't say bad mouth in the preacher. He doesn't say not paying their tithe. No, not coming to church. No, they have not repented of uncleanness, fornication, and lasciviousness. Now, Paul, in one other place, he says, these things shouldn't even be named among you. You know, th these are bad sins. And he says, some of you haven't repented. So, again, these letters are written so that we, as a church, can look at ourselves, take heed unto ourselves. We think we're strong. We think we're a good church. Everybody's marching the right drumbeat. No, no, no. We need to take a, a look at ourselves and take heed whether maybe we, sh we might fall. And, and see what needs to be chipped away, and the little leaven get gotten out here, or whatever. So we will continue on 1 Corinthians 6.20, uh, that we should glorify God, because God owns us, uh, because this is very uh, profitable for us, I think. Amen. Thank, Thank you, brother.